0: Well, good morning once again. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, We are continuing in our series called Refocus. And so, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to open them to Acts chapter 2, to our primary passage for this series, verses 42 to 47, the day uh, of the birth of the church. And this has been awesome. This series is something we've already established, the reasons why we are doing this refocus series. And and the key reason, I won't repeat them all today. Uh, You can see some of those reasons in the first and second uh, messages in this series. But the key reason is is that we as a church, looking at this new year of 2021, uh, we want to make sure that um, we learn what the Holy Spirit wants us to learn about 2020. Uh, of what we've been through and we're still going through as a church here locally but as the church globally as the result of a pandemic where we 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 cannot gather in exactly the same way as we've done before. And so rather than just wait and hope for the day when we can get back to business as usual, we thought this would be a really good opportunity to look back at the birth of the first church to see how they Uh, handled things in those days, which were very challenging days as well, maybe not a pandemic, but very challenging days for that church, and and how that might help us to go forward in 2021. What must we learn from this? How can we gather in ways that can still uh, be the church and, and disciple one another and love one another and at the same time reach our community? So I want to read again our full text for this series, and today we're going to look at the subject of the fellowship. I'll put the first verse up on screen, but I'm going to read the whole and hold it on screen for you. I'm going to read the whole passage and then pray one more time and we'll dive in. Luke records in verse 42 of Acts 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, as we've been looking at uh, Your Word, as recorded by Luke for the past few weeks, uh, Lord, what, what a wonderful memory it's bringing to us of this great day and time. And Lord, we just thank You. We thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, that you prayed to the Father, that you, you asked the Father, and together you sent the Spirit to arrive on that day, to come to be with the apostles and all the disciples who were there on that day, but also with us and in us and establish your church. So, Lord, we thank you so much for what you, what you did then, but what you're also still doing. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you teach us today? Would you speak through the words of this text and the words that you've given to me. Would you speak boldly, loudly, and clearly what it is that you have for us today about koinonia, about the fellowship, about us as your church here in Squamish, and I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus, amen. So I believe and I hope we've learned three keys so far in our study. Uh, first of all, all of them, all 6,000 after the first amazing sermon that was preached by Peter and a few more teachings that happened on that day, I am sure, 6,000 people, all of them continually devoted themselves to all four acts of worship that we read here in 242. They were devoted, yes, to learning the apostles' teaching and to sharing the Word. And that's the important thing to see. They weren't just sitting back and listening to someone preach. They heard and they immediately shared. Many of them already had that experience with Jesus. Many of them had been following Him for as long as the apostles. Many of them, most of them, at least those that were there in the room where the Holy Spirit fell, had seen Him alive, crucified, buried, and resurrected. And so they were devoted to this. And it was this, secondly, it was this devotion to all of these things that produced the awe in them. An awe that I'm, I'm certain most of us would really, really, really like to have while watching a gathering of the church on Facebook Live. It's not easy, but it's also in our day and age not so easy to have it even when we gather together. Because, because it seems, I think... Not for all of us, but sometimes it can seem that we are sitting and others are doing the acts of worship. And maybe we're missing, and I'm hoping that we've been seeing that throughout this series. Maybe we are missing that that awe is not something that others give to us or the experience gives to us, but that awe is something that already exists in our hearts and our lives. The minute we look at the words on the screen of those worship songs we sang this morning, we're, we're in awe of who He is. And what he's done. And that's what, that's what causes us to be so devoted. Thirdly, what they had and, and what undergirded, and you can see it throughout the text, and we've been looking at that, is they had something that they were devoted to and it produced, and this awe and this experience produced, and it came from something that's really key in our series. And that is unity. Absolute unity. They were one in a way that, and I repeated this last week from the first week, in a way that maybe we are struggling to maintain, let alone experience in the church today, at least to the same degree that we read here. Sometimes we read this passage and we're going, well, come on, that's the best case scenario. Can it really be like that today? I believe it's supposed to be. I really do. And so we also saw that this is the result of the Holy Spirit's power that was present and filled all of them. It was also the result of that famous and wonderful prayer that I want us to read again this morning. Jesus' prayer in John 17, beginning in verse 20, Jesus praying to his heavenly Father says these words, "'I do do not ask for these alone.'" but also these alone in front of me here, my disciples, those who are following me and listening to me, but also those who will believe in me through their word, their testimony, their preaching and teaching, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me, and loved me, even and loved them. Pardon me, even as you loved me. So now I'm sure uh, most of you, uh, most of you. Despite how enthusiastic I have tried to be in the last few weeks, in previous message, about the possibility of being perfectly one today, may be thinking some of you may be thinking, after last Sunday's message on the Apostles' teaching, that being perfectly one in all key areas of biblical teaching and doctrine may be very difficult as a church to hold? It, 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 maybe it's not even possible, really. And, and maybe in some of our minds, is it really important? Again, that closed-hand and open-hand thinking that we talked about last week. Well, we also saw this. We also saw that this important doctrine, these teachings were important to the church at that time. Of course, it's not easy. In fact, you may feel it is either unattainable, as I've said, or not important. It is, I agree, very difficult. I've experienced it throughout my whole church life. I've experienced it in the planting of this church. It's more difficult today, I believe, than it was throughout all of history. That said, I believe it is still the goal, or at least it should be the goal. We should be looking for oneness, even in that area, especially. Today I want us to go a little deeper, however, into this perfect oneness that Jesus is praying for because it's important for us to understand that when we consider koinonia, when we consider fellowship. So last week I suggested it has to do with our unity around the apostles' teaching, having a high view of Scripture, which is true, but it's actually much more that he's praying for, Uh, much more oneness and unity that he's praying for. Jesus actually prays this prayer after he tells his disciples that, oh, by the way, I'm going to leave you. (laughs) And and, uh, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise again, and then I'm going to leave you. And my actual leaving you is actually going to be good for you. (laughs) I'm I'm not sure. I think at the time they were like, really? How's that supposed to work? Well, he said, because he's going to send them, once he's left them, the Holy Spirit. And, as again we learned last week, it is the Holy Spirit that is the unifying factor in the church. This is also at a time when, when the world was far from one. We think, we think today the world is divided, whether it's socially or politically. Of course it is. It was incredibly divided in those days. There was a feigned oneness in those days. There was a pluralism in that days when it came to religion and various other things. But there were great divides in that day, especially between the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and everybody else who fell under the name of the Gentiles. This prayer tells us I feel something uh, that I really love, and that is this. This prayer shows us and teaches us that there is level ground at the cross." Brian Dirksen wrote a wonderful hymn and worship song called Level Ground. You'll remember the verse in Galatians that the Apostle Paul uh, uh, gave to us. It's often misinterpreted uh, uh, in in ways which it's not speaking about, but of course I digress. He writes this in Galatians 3.28, he says, and this is a result of the Holy Spirit, the work of the church, and Jesus' prayer in John 17, which I believe he's praying to this day. And Paul writes this There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither free nor slave. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so we know from that, from the apostles' teaching and writings, that in Christ and in his church, all, listen, all races, all cultures are one, men and women too. It wasn't the case in those days, especially even in Judaism, as well as one economically. The rich and the poor are one. This is wonderful. (laughs) It's remarkable. And as Francis Chan would say in one of his other books, it's radical. It is. It was radical in that day, and it is radical today. Secondly, this prayer is related to the Great Commission that Jesus gave to His disciples, to go and make disciples of, you remember what He said, right? Go and make disciples of everyone in Israel, is that what He said? Or or in America, or in Canada, no, He said all nations, the whole world, and baptize them into the family of God. G- Jesus also gave the geographical and cultural commission as well before He ascended and left them, and the Holy Spirit came to them. And we read that in Acts 1.8 when He said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he's instructing them to start in their own backyard, first of all, right? In Jerusalem, first of all. Our own backyard, by the way, is Squamish, first of all. And then they're to go, so that's to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people, which they do initially, and then to Judea, so that's all of the Jewish people. But look at this, wait a second, he says, and then I want you to go to those people who you all know, you know their theology is not exactly right, the Samaritans, Yeah, go to them too. Oh, and then go to the end of the world or the end of the earth, which is actually code for to the Gentiles, to everyone. So what happens a few days later is amazing. A few days after Jesus gives this geographical command to them, where they're to go and how and why, we see the answer to Jesus' prayer arrive on the day of Pentecost just hours before the first church is established. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples who are, again, all gathered in one place together. And then we read these words in Acts 2, 5 and 6. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, and women it should say, from, look here, every nation under heaven. And at this Sound. the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his or her own language. So this, this is incredibly remarkable. The Holy Spirit has, with complete foreknowledge, arrived on the day when men and women from all the nations would be in Jerusalem. And you see that In the words, every nation under heaven. He brings them together on that day for this purpose. So this is every nation known or to have been settled in those days by Jewish believers at that time. They arrive in Jerusalem as true representatives of their nations and their cultures from whence they've come. They speak the languages of those cultures, And they hear the disciples of Jesus proclaiming the glories of God in their own languages. A couple of things we need to note that are important details here. First, among these Jewish men and women, there would have been proselytes as well. Gentiles who were converted to Judaism. So that's interesting that they are there also. Many of those presents from these nations would have then... Therefore, have been people of color, Asian, and a mix of many different cultures and backgrounds. And on this day, the day that the Holy Spirit arrives, they're all there. They all hear them proclaiming the glories of God. And Peter preaches the gospel boldly, cuts them to the heart, the Holy Spirit does. And they repent and are baptized and believe into the local church. All of them are. From day one, from day one, this is a church that is truly multicultural, and they are perfectly one, answering Jesus' prayer in an amazing way, the ways that He wanted it answered. We see this beautifully uh, celebrated in the words of the Apostle Paul. Helps us to understand our true identity as Christians in the church today. He is, of course, speaking about a present but also a perfect future tense and sense. When he says these words in 1 Peter two nine, he says this, But you, speaking to the church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, This is all singular. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Peter is speaking of a a people in that day and the people of the church who are totally and perfectly one. In Christ, in his church, we are yes from different racial or cultural backgrounds, but truly in Christ, in His church, we are one. That's His prayer. That's His goal, church. That's what we are to model. Friends, listen, this this fact right here is what Jesus was getting at primarily in His prayer. He says this in His prayer, if you remember, He says that our oneness, our unity, that alone, that fact will be what causes the world to know that as He says to His Father, you, Father, to know that you, Father, sent me and loved them as I loved you. That fact is to be, if you think about it, I think about it, our primary form of evangelism is our unity, our love for one another, our bond. So I think what we miss today when we don't fully, we, myself included, don't fully commit or devote ourselves to the fellowship as they did in the early church, is that the church's, we, we miss the church's explosive growth for the first 300 years of its existence was to do with that, with three things that came out of that, their devotion and love for one another that was palpable and visible to the whole world, their unity in diversity, people from all racial and cultural backgrounds, from all different languages, and their outrageous, yeah, outrageous generosity toward one another, first and foremost. No one, no one in those days, in that church, whether Greek, or Jew, whether black, Asian, white, this religious background or that, rich or poor, had any need, it says. Why? Because they were perfectly devoted to one another in fellowship. I I heard this uh, spoken by someone else, so I can't take perfect credit for it, but uh, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and, and it's this, is that, you know, today, listen, in our DNA today, modern-day humanitarian or social justice efforts, uh, people believe these are, these are uh, birthed out of just human knowledge and human experience, out of enlightenment. No, they're not. They are the result, listen, of the power of the Holy Spirit of God as modeled to the world by the church that Jesus had and has in mind today. With all this in mind, foundationally to fellowship, which is important, this oneness, let's now look at a few practical ways for us to view, understand, and be continually devoted to this kind of fellowship today. It's radical. It's going to take us time to refocus and get this. So yeah, devotion awe, the Apostles' teaching, certainly the breaking of bread and prayer are equally important. However, as we heard in the full passage read again today, I hope you heard or saw, if you have your Bibles open, and you should, the fellowship is evident throughout the text. It's just not mentioned in verse 42, the Apostles' teaching and the fellowship. It's evident throughout the text. It seems to be the one thing they were devoted to that holds them all together, or maybe put better, is foundational to devotion in the first place. You know, one of the definitions of the word devote or devotion is giving, giving of oneself. You're giving yourself to these things. So as you probably know, the word used here for fellowship is the word that I've already uttered a few times because I love this word. It is the word koinonia. It's a very special word in the New Testament. This is the first time that it is used or recorded in the New Testament. You, you don't read about it in the Gospels, but clearly it, it was evident. I mean, Jesus and His disciples for three and a half years, the ones that stuck with Him, the 120 that were still there on the day of Pentecost, yeah. Yeah. They were devoted. (laughs) They were devoted to this kind of koinonia. It is best translated this way, having in common or holding in common. And it is always related to both sharing and unity or oneness. You see it spelled out beautifully in verse 44 as we read this morning. And all who believe were together and this is the word koinonia spelled out, not just fellowship, had all things in common. All who believed, every Christian, they were all together in fellowship, and then it is spelled out, had all things in common. None of them thought that what was theirs, listen, not only their devotion, but their material possessions, including their money, none of them thought it was theirs, that they owned it. They believed it was for the common good. We also see this fellowship was still alive and well months later. I showed you this verse last week. I want to do it again. A few months later, after some persecution has actually hit the church and they're praying for more boldness to go and preach some more for Peter and John and themselves, we see in Acts 4, 4.32, now the full number, again, they're all together of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him or her was their own. But they had everything in common." Everything in common. So so what exactly would that be? What, What did they actually have in common? Well, a few things. First, they all shared a common experience of a relationship with Jesus Christ, with the triune God, the the fully unified one Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They all shared that. They all had that in common. Secondly, they shared their very lives together day by day. We read this again in, in our passage today. I'll put it on screen for you. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I know this is difficult, even with, without a pandemic in our day, because of just our lifestyles, what it takes to live our life today, to commute, to work, to do things. But the point is that as much as was possible, they wanted to devote, to devote times to be together with their church family more than anyone else. That at least we should see. Thirdly, they also, yes, shared their material resources. Sharing food in those days and even to this day was considered a form of mercy ministry. Those who had less were able to eat because those who had more or who were better off would actually invite them into their homes to have a meal. Now, I got to tell you, when I, when, I, when I wrote that, I thought to myself, yeah, Glenn, those three and a half years that you spent in full-time ministry down at Union Gospel Mission, and then I consulted them for another 12, 14 years, I thought to myself, wow, you see, that's what we do as a church. That's what we do. We don't invite the poor in Squamish, the destitute in Squamish, into our home to share a meal. No, we, we, we set up parachurch ministries, and we, we let them do the work. And I'm grateful that there's union gospel missions, are you? Of course we are, but they they went beyond that. beyond that, those who had resources sacrificially gave them up to meet the needs of the others in the community who found themselves in hard times. and this of course included giving to support those who needed it. Listen, <laughs> there, there are people in the church today which still It kind of shocks me that they think this way, that, oh, yeah, you know, like, there's there's no way we should be giving to the church to pay for full-time people in ministry. Listen, the majority of the apostles did not have full-time jobs. Jesus did not have a full-time job other than to proclaim the gospel, right? He was supported by the people who followed him. The apostles were too. The majority of them were too. So their generosity was amazing. But it's important to also see this. Their generosity was completely voluntary, was not compulsory. This kind of generosity is only possible when we experience God's generosity, right? If you haven't experienced that kind of generosity and understand it, only when we see what Christ has given up for us are we willing to sacrifice the resources He has entrusted to us as His stewards. Again, i gotta, I got to ask the question, how radical is this i mean come on come on how close to the reality of this level of koinonia unity and fellowship radical generosity do we actually see today i mean do we even think it's for today do we think it's for today in some places in the world i won't mention any 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 parts of our world Uh, What we see here in the life of the early church is actually dismissively referred to as socialism, right? Or or the great boogeyman, communism. I mean, people actually who claim to be Christians say that. They go, well, it was for that day and age, but really, for us to believe and live that way today, that's what it would be. Well, I, I don't agree with them. I would suggest to you that it's really uh, held by those who have a really, really, uh, or lack an appropriate understanding of what Christianity and therefore the church really is, or a lack of devotion and commitment overall to the church. Although it's true, listen, that some in those days actually had additional properties and sold those properties so that those who were in need could, it could have the money or it could have food or whatever they needed. Everybody was not going out and selling their homes. We read that they met where? In homes, day by day, in the community. And so th- this is not communism. Communism is when uh, everything is owned by the government and they decide how little bit you're going to get. That's not what this was at all. So friends, I, I have to tell you, as I was praying about this, <laughs> I am very thankful that most of you most of us actually get this. We get this. Maybe not as deeply as they do, but I do believe there is a deep sense amongst most of us in our church that this is the goal and it is our heart and we demonstrate koinonia towards each other often. There are many good examples of that, right, in our church. Someone has a baby. People are gonna be having babies soon. People are having babies. Someone has a surgery or a tragic event in their lives and immediately a meal train is set up. Like immediately. It's awesome. And sometimes like within 24 hours, a month or two of meal trains every couple of days is filled up by people in our church. In some instances, there is a GoFundMe established and your generosity, listen, is evident, And it's beautiful to see. So look... As I read, studied, and, and meditated on the Word of God related to what it means to be the church um, for us in these days, um, it reminded me of some of the things that you all know, uh, some of the ways in which we I refer to us as the rock church and describe ourselves. First of all, we we, we like to put it this way: the church is not a building, a place, or an event. It's us. We are the church. Secondly, we get this from the Great Commission when we see that we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We then understand that we are a family of missionary servants. We're a family. We're a family. Now, you all may have heard that. I, I know many of you have heard that saying. We've, we've put it in our website. We've put it on our e-newsletter for years. We put that out there, and, and, and even assent to it being true, basically. But but do we do, do we fully do we fully understand that? As I've been praying about this lately, I've wondered if there isn't something that maybe we've done as the church that has softened it or blurred the truth of the depth of what it means to be family. And it's found in a word. And some of you might be a little bit surprised when I'm going to utter this word because you love this word. I love this word, but it's this word. It's the word community, right? We all love that word, don't we? I do. We should. You'll hear it or have said it yourself that when you're looking for a good church, uh, what you want to find is, yeah, you want to find good preaching or preaching that's true to the Word of God, but you want to find community. And, and some of you will say one of the things we love about the Rock Church is this, this, this sense of community that we have. And that's why we have missional community groups, right? But listen, please hear me when I say this. Isn't family what we're actually called to? I was thinking that maybe we should, uh, I was going to put this out to the elders and the missional community group leaders that maybe we should change our name to missional family life groups. It's Just a thought. Tim Keller has this to say on the subject. Someone who loves community, but he says this from his experience as a pastor. Everyone says they want community and friendship, but mention accountability or commitment to people and they run the other way. So when you hear the word family, what do you think of? Well, I think most of us think of our flesh and blood family. If I was Rudy and John, I would think of Rudy and John, Miriam and Daniel. And then I would also maybe think about Oma and Ompa on both sides and siblings and, and that would be my family. That's what I would think about. And that's, that's true. That is correct and right. These are our family. Now, I want to show you a little illustration that I know is going to ruffle some feathers. It has in the past when I've taught this. But I just, I just want us to see this and I want us to... Um, be blessed by it and maybe grow in it. I wanna show you first what is probably the classic view in the Christian life, in the Christian church today, and it is this. This is the classic Christian view. First and foremost, we, our highest priority, of course, is God. Everybody okay with that one? Our highest priority is God. He's number one. Of course he is. Second would be our family, our, our f- flesh and blood family. That would be our next priority. And then our third priority would be church, community. And then our final community uh, uh, priority would be our work, our our career, and and the world around us. I want to suggest, this is good, this is good, there's nothing wrong with this, Except I want to suggest this to you. I believe in the North American church. One of the reasons why this has been promoted by pastors and churches, it's a little bit like the closed hand and open hand that I talked about last Sunday. The open hand that is now getting pretty heavy theologically and doctrinally is just a a poor attempt at creating unity, keeping people together rather than dividing over very important theological things. This too could be that. Oh boy, if you're a pastor, you don't want to get in the way of people's view of their flesh and blood family being a priority. Well, I think I'm going to go there. I think this is the actual koinonia fellowship view that we should embrace and we should understand. And is this. First is this, God's family, our blood-bought family, which is the church. Now listen. Some of us are very fortunate to have family members who are part of that. They may not live here in Squamish and be part of this local family, but they're they're part of that. That's awesome. That's wonderful. But for many of us, that's just not true, including our siblings. Then from that would follow these, our flesh and blood family and our work and our world. Friends, I've only been a pastor now for 12 years in planting this church and I've struggled with this one most of my life. But I can tell you that the people that I see that are committed to this mindset, this ideal, not that they don't love their mom and dad and their brothers and sisters, of course you do. But when the priority is this way, and they see themselves as part of God's kingdom and God's family, and that they're to be devoted to that family first and foremost. That is the church. These are the ones who are continually devoted to all these things. Finally, this morning, I wanted to show you very briefly a key metaphor for the church that is also helpful to our sense of koinonia and fellowship. It's an amazing and beautiful metaphor. You all know what it is. It shows us and teaches us the mind of Jesus, our place in the church, and what fellowship truly is, and it is this. The church is, we are the body of Christ. It's a metaphor, of course. Paul, when he's teaching about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, he says these words. Look at these words. To each, every one of you, in this room, watching online, who are in the bloodbought family of God, in the Koinonia Fellowship Church. Each one of you is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For you to experience awe? No, for your brothers and sisters, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, siblings, friends in Christ, in the church, for the common, common good. He then goes on in verses 12 and 14 to say this, look, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, male or female, every nation, tongue, and tribe, And all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Friends, let me leave you with this thought today. Koinonia fellowship really, really blossoms when you realize, Christian, that your gift is needed here in this body. We need your gift We need each other's gift. We need devotion, which is giving of our gift to everyone else. We did a series a while back, you can look it up on YouTube, called The Gifts of God. You might want to check that out if you're not sure what your gift is. Friends, today I want to close in prayer and just encourage you that we we really devote ourselves to one another in these days. It's hard to know how to gather and how to see each other, but I'll tell you what, how about a phone call? (laughs) I get texts once in a while, which are really nice. But How about a phone call? How about a walk? Call somebody you haven't talked to, and I saw somebody yesterday I haven't talked to in four months on the trail. As a pastor, I felt pretty bad. (laughs) Um, Let's do that. Let's really devote ourselves as much as possible in these days. Amen? Pray with me, would you?